Okay, would you like to turn in your scriptures to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. This is the second in our series of the statements of Jesus while he was on the cross. Luke chapter 23, and I'm reading from verses 35 to 43. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at Jesus. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. May God give us understanding of his word that we have read. You know, the record of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus is one of the most powerful testimonies of the love of God. Can you think of any testimony of God that is more powerful than Jesus on the cross for you and me? And it is a testimony that we ignore or dismiss at our own peril. The Lord Jesus was not just a good guy who got a raw deal. He is the Lord of heaven who by his self-sacrifice for us on the cross of Calvary forever bridged the separation and the brokenness between mankind and our creator God. And no one else in history, past or present, has ever been able to do that. It is only Jesus. The events surrounding the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus are found actually in all four of the Gospels. And of interest, the record of Jesus being crucified between two criminals 
two convicted criminals is also recorded in all four Gospels. However, not all the Gospels give us as much attention to these two criminals as Luke's Gospel. As we consider these record or these Gospel records, we note that Matthew recorded there were some, some robbers crucified with Jesus. Matthew 27 verse 44, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. Mark indicated that there were two robbers. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. And John wrote that those who were crucified with him were placed either side and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the centre. All this agrees with what Luke recorded. In Luke chapter 23, we read, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So we have a fairly good agreement with all four Gospels of the historical situation that took place. Of course, the, the real importance of these records is not simply because they record the historical reality, but because the fact fulfills yet another Old Testament messianic prophecy written hundreds of years before the coming of the Lord Jesus, namely Isaiah 53, verse 12. He poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That was written nearly 600 years before Jesus was born. And yet in Jesus' death, we find the fulfilment of that prophecy. The Gospel of Luke, however, in addition to the simple facts, also recorded a conversation the Lord Jesus had with these two men. Either the other Gospel writers were unaware of this brief conversation, or they chose not to include it in their Gospels. The real question is not, why did the other gospel writers omit this conversation? The real question is, why did Luke choose to include it? And as we read this morning in verses 39 to 43, one of the criminals abused Jesus. In verse 39, if you are the Christ, if you are the Messiah, save yourself and us. And this agrees in part with what Matthew wrote in chapter 27, verse 44. What is only recorded by Luke is what the second criminal said in defense of the Lord Jesus. In verses 40 and 41, the second criminal said, Don't you fear God, 
since you are under the same condemnation, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. An interesting statement from a condemned criminal, isn't it? Rather than trying to proclaim his own innocence and justify himself, he said, we deserve what we're getting. But this man has done nothing wrong. For Luke, the witness and confession of this man is yet another declaration of the innocence of the Lord Jesus. And then the man, chose, the man turned to Jesus and declared his faith in the Lord and the truth of his ministry. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I've got my things out of sync here. Why have I done that? I've pressed the wrong button, or I haven't been pressing it hard enough, maybe. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What can we learn from this? Whoops. What can we learn from this statement? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even the most hardened of criminals can have a moment of clarity. Even the most cruel and despised of men, when it counts, are never too far from seeing the fullness of God's love and the hope he alone can offer them. In response to the man's request, the Lord Jesus declared, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's a wonderful declaration of comfort and assurance. And what an amazing revelation of the hope and purposes of God. Of course, one of the imponderables that has for many years so often been debated in theological circles is actually what the Lord said. Did the Lord say, Assuredly, I say to you, comma, Today you will be with me in paradise. Or did the Lord say, Assuredly, I say to you today, comma, You will be with me in paradise. It's a matter of where you put the emphasis. Now, we have punctuation. So we put a comma that implies the emphasis. But in Aramaic, there is no punctuation. And in the original Aramaic, we don't know where Jesus put the emphasis in his speech. Let's just have a plebiscite. Have a referendum. Those who think that 
Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Put your hand up. The emphasis on today. Okay? Those who think that Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise, as the emphasis. I would say it's pretty split. (laughs) 50-50. Theresa May might survive with that one. (laughs) The problem, as I said, is that in the original text, there was no punctuation. And therefore, the rendering in English and many other languages remains potentially ambiguous. Ultimately, we don't know where to put the emphasis. Is the emphasis on today you will be or simply you will be? In some modern English paraphrases, the bias of the author adjusts the text to eliminate the ambiguity and so prefer their rendering. But in any paraphrase, you've got to be careful. And regardless of which rendering you prefer, the essential impact of the words of the Lord Jesus remain the same. And that is that for those who acknowledge their own unworthiness in the sight of God, and surrender themselves to him in an act of pure, unconditional faith, the Lord Jesus has a place of acceptance for them in his eternal kingdom. That's the essential truth. Now, whether it is today or in some day in the future, doesn't matter because we'll be dead anyway. And time will be of no relevance to us. From the moment that we die to the moment that we rise with Christ, for us it will be instantaneous. Does it matter if there has been one day, one year, one decade, one millennium? Oh, I forgot a century. In between? It doesn't matter at all. For those who have surrendered themselves unconditionally to the Lord Jesus, at the moment of our death, we are translated into his presence. That is, of course, unless the Lord comes in the meantime, prior to our death, in which case we'll be translated in the twinkling of an eye anyway. Yeah, let's go. It sounds good to me. (laughs) You know, this is the ultimate message of the good news of the Lord Jesus. Through faith in the Lord Jesus, we do not follow an empty propositional life philosophy. We do not align ourselves with a dead hero. And we do not worship an undefined cosmic force. The good news of the Lord Jesus was fully revealed in his life. 
both in his teachings and in his actions, and especially in his death and resurrection. In the Lord Jesus, we have God's full and complete package of love, of hope, of restoration, and of new life. Amen? Brothers and sisters, these words of the Lord Jesus to the criminal that hung beside him are words that have both implication and application for you and me today. And there is the importance of the today. Jesus' words mean something for us today. They are words that speak of life beyond this mortal frame. They declare that the message of the gospel is not just for then and there, nor here and now, but also has the implication for life beyond mortal death. You will be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, the message of the secular world today is that your birth is an accident of nature. That's what they're teaching our children in the schools. The secular world today is saying that your birth was an accident of nature. You're an accident. That's what they're teaching. To that I say humbug. Rubbish. That is not what God declares. They are teaching that you are born without purpose. They are teaching that your life is to live to satisfy and preserve self. You know, Darwinianism, survival of the fittest, that's what they're teaching. Is it any wonder we've got problems in the streets of the city of Melbourne today, especially on Friday and Saturday nights? Young people are only interested in doing what interests them and what preserves them and what makes them feel of worth because everybody has told them all their life that they have no intrinsic value or worth. They're just an accident. And the other thing that the secular philosophies of the world are teaching is that when you die, you die to oblivion. That's what they're teaching. And I defy any secularist, humanist, atheist to tell me otherwise. Because they can't. That's what they believe. That's their religion. The message of the secular world today is to advance and get what you can for yourself. In the here and in the now. And they are trying to tell us that the best way to do it is within a structure of laws that views the collective as more valuable than the individual. That's their only justification for having any law. Otherwise, we would be living in chaos 
an anarchy. And there are some today who think that that's the better way anyway. By contrast to this message of the world, the message of the Lord Jesus is one not only of hope for both the collective as well as the individual, but more importantly, of total assurance. In Christ Jesus, our life has significance. In Christ Jesus, our life has meaning and purpose. In that as soon as we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, everything we are, everything we say and do is to prepare us to live a life in union with him. A life that has no barriers, but opportunities. And a life that transcends even the death of this mortal frame. The message of the Lord Jesus is that your life is important. You were born with purpose. And in the word of God, do we not read, even before you were born, I knew you. That's the word of God. He knows us even before we're born. And he has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And God's plan is always perfect. The challenge is whether we say yes or no to it. Of course, the question must be asked, do these words of Jesus to the man hanging beside him on the cross therefore invalidate the importance of how we are to live for God today? You will be with me in paradise. Does that invalidate how we are to live today? After all, he was a self-confessed criminal. And Jesus is saying today, hear what I'm saying, you will be in paradise with me. Does it matter how we live? Yes, it matters. Does Jesus' words of the promise of life after death invalidate what was going on in that man's life? No. While our life with the Lord in eternity is important and should not be ignored and definitely not diminished, our life with the Lord in this mortal frame is also of immense value and importance. How we live in the here and now is a preparation for our life with the Lord. It's like an apprenticeship. Do any of you all of a sudden say, tomorrow I'm going to build myself a house and go and buy a hammer and that's it? No. You've got to do the apprenticeship. You've got to learn what tools you need. You've got to learn how to use them. You've got to learn about planning and weights and stresses and everything like that. Our life here, God has purposed 
as an apprenticeship so that we will be ready to spend eternity with him. Unfortunately, unfortunately, too many people leave their decision for the Lord to the latter days of their life, as did this thief who hung beside the Lord Jesus. He left his decision for Jesus to almost the last hours of his very life. It would be so much better for everyone to decide for the Lord Jesus today and so avoid the regrets of a hollow and shallow life. But I am so glad and I am so thankful that there are those who make a deathbed confession. I am so glad and so thankful for those in their latter years who do choose Jesus. And I will welcome them. I will welcome them as my brothers and my sisters in glory with the Lord. But oh, it would have been so much better if in their early years they had have made their decision for God their lives would have been different. So much different. The record of the two thieves reveal two ways in which many people respond to suffering and relate to God in suffering. Both men were suffering the agony and pain of crucifixion. Both were guilty of serious crimes. Both saw Jesus and heard the words from his mouth. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And both desperately wanted to be saved from death. In these things, both men are in exactly the same situation. Most of us, at one time or another, will have all these things in common with these two men because there has been, is, or will be suffering in our lives. It's part of our fallen humanity. Most of us have seen Jesus on the cross and have heard his gracious words of forgiveness and love. And all of us want to be saved from death one way or another. But then, the ways divide between the responses of these two thieves. The first thief said, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Of course, um, as a one interested in scripture, where do you put the emphasis on that one? Is it, if you are the Messiah, the Christ, save yourself and us? Or was his emphasis, if you are the Messiah, the Christ, save yourself and us? We can play with those words. But what a picture of a spiritually destitute worldly man. It's a matter of total indifference to him that he is suffering the due reward of his deeds. To him, 
right and wrong, good and bad, are of no interest. And doesn't that take us a little bit to the education that's going on in some of our schools today? There's no teaching about right and wrong or good and bad. In fact, in some schools, you're not even allowed to use those words because that's being judgmental. This man's only objective is to save his earthly skin. And this is the way that many relate to God in suffering. Like the thief, they have no spirit of brokenness, no sense of guilt, no attitude of penitence, and certainly no spirit of humility. The second thief is the one Luke wants us to be like. First, he is not persuaded by the other man's railings. If we are to follow his example, we will have to stand our ground and not be persuaded by those who say, if your God is so great and loving, then why do tragedies happen in life? I mean, say, that's the, that's the, the key question that people like to try and use to derail Christians, isn't it? But our faith is not dependent upon a good time God. A God who's a puppet who will solve all of our problems and make everything nice and hunky-dory all the time. Sometimes we have to stand our ground against the railings of others. The second thing we learn from this pedant and thief is that he reverenced and feared God. God was real to him. And the third thing we learn is that the penitent thief admitted his guilt and accepted the justice of his punishment. Verse 41, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We committed these murders. We committed these thieves. We committed these atrocities. Whatever it was that they had committed, he is saying we deserve under the laws of the day what we are getting. He laid open his sin before the God that he feared without any pretense, without any self-justification. And the real humility, the real test of humility before God is to realise that none of us have any rights. The real test of humility before God is to acknowledge that before God, none of us have any rights. And finally, the penitent thief did one more thing. He acknowledged the goodness and the power of Jesus. And he made his plea before the Lord. 
Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew he had no right. It was a simple request. Both thieves wanted to be saved from death. A natural human reaction. But oh, how differently they sought their salvation. Brothers and sisters, we have a life and death choice to make in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. To the unrepentant thief, the Lord Jesus was silent. Had you ever realised that before? To the unrepentant thief, the Lord Jesus was silent. And isn't that a reflection of the world today? Of those who go around justifying themselves, claiming their rights, excusing their bad behaviour, just accepting the worldly philosophies. And then they say there is no God. And what they're really saying is, he's never spoken to me. The unrepentant thief, Jesus, did not speak to him. To the repentant thief, the Lord Jesus spoke the words of promise. The words of acceptance and the words of hope. You will be with me in paradise. Today, what will be your response to the message of the Lord Jesus? If you have not already called out to the Lord in confession and humility, let today be the first day of the rest of your life. Don't wait until your deathbed. Don't try and say to yourself, well, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to rage. I'm going to have parties. I'm going to uh, make lots of money and uh, I'm going to just spoil myself and do everything I want to do. And then uh, in my latter years, then I'll make my decision for Jesus. Now, you might smile, some of you. You might smile at that. But I have actually had people, in all honesty, say that to me. I have actually had people say to me, I'm not going to become a Christian because I've got too much living to do. When I'm old, then I'll go to church. When I'm old, then I'll get serious with God. Let today be the first day of the rest of your life. Why wait? Because anything that this world wants to offer you, I can assure you, it fades into insignificance compared to the life that the Lord Jesus has for you. His life for you is perfect. The life that you choose for yourself, I assure you, is very second rate.
as we close, consider the words of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, if you have not yet made a decision, a life decision for Jesus, a totally unreserved life decision for Jesus, I can assure you his promises are true. What he wants to give to you, to share with you, to fill you with, is far better than anything that you could ever hope to do for yourself. And if you have not made a decision for the Lord Jesus yet, if you've been sitting on the fence, by the way, do you know what happens to the person who sits on the fence? They get splinters in their backside, that's right. But if you have been hedging your bets, if you've been playing, oh, well, Sunday I'll, I'll go to church, but at the rest of the week I'll live for myself, and, and you've sort of been in control and playing both sides, being worldly during the week and being spiritual on the weekend, if today you want to get serious with God, then I urge you, don't wait any longer. Let today be the first day of the rest of your life. We're going to close the service with prayer and with a song and then we're going to break off, we're going to have lunch and there's going to be a bit of set up to do. Pastor Glenn will probably tell us that or Pastor Caroline will tell us what we need to do. But come and see me. I'll be up the front here. I'll just stay here. If you want to come and talk to me, come and talk to me. Let's start the conversation today. And I'll pray with you. And if you want to ask Jesus into your life, now and forever, totally unreservedly, in the fullness of faith, Sign that contract with him today. Sign that covenant with him today. Don't wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the words of Jesus are ringing in our ears. These words of hope and promise and love that was given to this, this criminal this man who had lived his life just to please himself. And yet, Jesus, you spoke life-giving words to him. Oh, thank you, Lord. And thank you that our acceptance to be with you in glory is not dependent on how good or how bad we've been. It doesn't matter about whether the scales are weighed in our favour or not. It doesn't matter about what special good works we have to do to earn your favour. 
Lord, thank you that all we need to do is confess our sin, confess our own unworthiness, and to receive your Holy Spirit into our lives. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for all that you have accomplished on the cross of Calvary when you took my sin, when you took our sin upon yourself. Oh, great and wonderful Lord, we honour you, we bless you, and we love you. Amen.